0: you have your Bibles, everybody? Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 1. Philippians, book of Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The title of my sermon this morning encompasses three aspects of what you just read from verses 5 through 11. I'm going to talk about the cradle. I'm going to talk about the cross and the crown. Thanksgiving has come and it is gone. It is over. O-V-A. Over. And now we enter the Christmas season, better known or lesser known as Advent. Advent means, it's a Latin word that means approach or arrival. And I leave it up to you what you are most excited about to this morning. The approach and arrival of Christmas or the approach or arrival of Christ. To me, it's a no-brainer where I stand I can't wait for Christ. Amen? It's two years ago that I felt like there was the last bastion of normalcy when we entered this season called Advent. Two years ago, 2019. Advent's a time to reflect on where we are. And as far as I'm concerned, when you look around at our world today, why don't we switch those words a little bit and try to figure out where are we? Anybody know where we are? (laughs) Anybody know where we are? How did we ever get here in just a short amount of time? As King Théoden would say in the Lord of the Rings, the two towers, how did it ever come to this? In a recent devotional, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn brings this summation of the last two years. Listen to this. These past two years have been among the most dramatic, chaotic, world-changing, and life-changing we have ever known. In the months before it began, in the autumn of 2019, I had a strong sense that the coming year would be one of the great shakings and dark events. That was part of the leading I received to begin writing The Harbinger two. To show what was happening, to give warning, and to give hope in the way to prevail in the days to come. Two months after I began writing it, the shaking began. Most prominent of shakings was the plague that came on the world and America. Then came unrest, civil disorder, cities on fire the dividing of the nation, and then the coming to power of a new government, the rising of an agenda that threatened religious freedom, biblical values, life itself, and the continued and now accelerated moral and spiritual fall of America. During this time, almost everyone saw their lives disrupted and dramatically altered. Businesses were shut down, lives were shut down, churches were shut down, Some never reopened. Many believers fell out of fellowship. In general, the body of Messiah was weakened and at a time when political and cultural forces were warring against them with an unprecedented onslaught. And now we come to the end of 2021 and the beginning of a new year. What will it bring? The news is not all bad, by the way. I just saved a ton of money by switching to Geico. (laughs) Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't know how I would answer Jonathan's question. What will 2022 bring? More dark events, more shaking, and the promise that Jesus said, you know, remember what God said, at this time, I'm not only going to shake the earth, but I'm also going to shake the heavens as well. What does that mean? He's going to shake the heavens. What is going on in the heavenlies? Amen? What is, what is happening there? There was a family that was setting up this rather large nativity scene. And they got this whole nativity scene out on the front yard. They had the little statues there. They had Joseph. They had Mary. They had the little baby Jesus in the manger. And they had the angels around about. They had some wise men. They had all these various barnyard animals. So it looked like it was set until little Scott runs out of the house and says, Don't forget this he runs out with this, this inflated, this blow-up Tyrannosaurus Rex. This thing was green, it was inflatable, and the thing just kind of stood above the nativity scene, really out of place. Now the father said to him, You know, son, dinosaurs were, existed a long time ago, even before the birth of Jesus. It would not look right to have that dinosaur as part of the nativity scene, but little Scott started to pout and the dad caved and all of a sudden he gave way and caved and gave in to this big giant tyrannosaurus rex that was hovering over the manger scene and the nativity story of two thousand years ago actually when you think about it that menacing beast hovering over the manger may not have been so out of place as you might think because there is a nativity account that very few people think about talk about or remember at christmas time that does include a beast. And revelation 12:1, here is a rendition of the christmas story, perhaps you have never seen or heard before. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head, That is ancient Israel, by the way, which produced the Virgin Mary. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. Talking about Satan. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. That's talking about none other than Christ who ascended to the right hand of the Father in Acts chapter 1. Revelation 12 and what I just read bounces back and forth. Front words to, you know, what is prophetic and back to what is historic. It just bounces all over the place. It bounces all over the place. I read that and I think that little Scott's addition to the nativity scene on his family's front yard was spot on. It was spot on because Satan did use a monster. He was the monster that 2,000 years ago tried to devour the Christ child. And he did it through an evil king named Herod. And Herod, not knowing where the Christ child was, had all the children in that whole region, two years and younger, slaughtered. So the devil is still working today, is he not, to devour the children of our age? He's still at work, is he not, He's still at work. Each of us, there's the same monster that threatened to still kill, and destroy the babe that was born in Bethlehem's stable in Beth- back then. It's the same menacing monster that seeks to still kill, and destroy the babe that was been born in the smelly stables of our hearts. Right. But the tiny baby born in Bethlehem is stronger and more powerful, and he has defeated every single dragon and dinosaur in our lives. That is the gift that God has given to us this Christmas time. Why is it, however, as we enter this Christmas time, that it's not like Andy Williams' song, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year? How many of you feel that spirit of Christmas? You know, that something magical in the air. Are you feeling me this morning? Anyone kind of feeling me? It is the most wonderful time of the year. Let's sing that song. Amen? You want me to sing that song for you? Everybody said, oh my. You know what I, what, what we need to understand today is that there's a, a shaking going on in the heavenlies. I want you to read the rest of the chapter with me of the warning of Apostle John. Revelation twelve seven, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, and sea is a representation of the people, the humanity, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows, he knows that his time is short. And probably the reason why it does not feel like that wonderful time of the year that we have been feeling, everybody. Revelation 12.3 describes the dragon this way, as an enormous red dragon. The color red may indicate his murderous characteristics. Those seven heads represent authority. They represent intelligence. They represent cleverness. But they do not represent wisdom because there is no fear of the Lord here. And the ten horns represent earthly completeness, although limited. And horns are a symbol of physical or political strength. And those seven crowns on his head are seven crowns that represent political authority, a political authority, by the way, that is becoming more and more um, increasing and spreading and getting stronger every day, it seems. Amen? It will appear that way, that everything is working itself out. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short, The defeat of the devil brings rejoicing of God's people, but it brings woe to the people of the world because there is an intensification of the workings of hell as we wind up this age, everybody. The adversary knows that his time is short. There is no mention of the church because we have been raptured, but during the tribulation period, the Antichrist will be pursuing the modern-day Israel. How many of you feel that life on earth has become more more of a spiritual warfare than it has right now, the spirit of Christmas? It feels like a spiritual warfare. It feels like every single day there's something wrong, something terrible happening in our day. The enemy is furious. He's running out of time. Running out of time. That's why all that is going on is going on. That is why all of this is coming to a head, everybody. It's coming to a close. God is working out his story. He's working out his plan. The devil has a plot. God has a plan. And everything is not falling apart. It is falling into place. Amen. Amen. Dr. David Jeremiah once said, when Jesus traveled from heaven to earth, he used a round-trip ticket with stops along the way He left the throne for the manger, the manger for the cross, the cross for the tomb, and the tomb for the throne. He left blessings behind at every stop. He emptied himself so that we might be filled. This morning, let's look at three of those stops. Three of those stops. First, the cradle. Let's talk first about the cradle. In Philippians 2 and verse number 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. It's amazing. <laughs> Taking the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness, what Paul is doing is describing the preexistence of Jesus before he became a man. Before he became a man. Who being in the very nature of God, that word being is the translation of the Greek word hypako which despises describes something that has already existed. Bethlehem, the manger, the end was not the beginning of our Lord. He has always existed, in eternity past. Paul writes that Jesus always existed in form, in form as God. That word form is the Greek word morph. This word describes an outward form. Jesus was God in the very beginning, not a component of God, not a symbol of God. He was God. I'm talking about one God now, not three, not two. One God. One God. Jesus possessed the very shape and outward appearance of God with all his glory, with all his majesty and all his power and a presence that no flesh could endure. God existed in glory more wonderful than a human mind can comprehend and more powerful than a human flesh can endure. He's always existed, yet he desired to come to earth to redeem man. So to do that, he's got to reclothe himself. He cannot just come to earth in his glorious nature, nobody be able to stand it. You wouldn't be able to survive it. So he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of his servant be made in human likeness. The phrase, the phrase made himself nothing comes from the Greek word kenos. It means to make empty, to evacuate, to vacate, to deprive, to divest, to relinquish. Because it was impossible for God to appear to man as God, he had to change his outward form and let go of the glorious attributes of himself that he had in heaven he had to empty that. He never ceased being God, but he had to empty himself, divest himself of all his heavenly glory and took upon himself the very nature of his servant being in human likeness. The phrase took upon himself describes that an incredible moment when God reached out and laid hold of human flesh, just grabs human flesh and just took it upon himself, human flesh. That's what God did reached out into our world, gathered the material things that he created, and made himself nothing. That Greek is the word lambano, which means to take, to seize, to catch, to latch on, to clutch, to grasp. This word, God reached out into his eternal existence into this material world and took upon himself flesh, the form of a servant. You talk about a vast difference. One minute Jesus is, you know, in a glorious state Eternal state. And there he is, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, who flung the stars into the skies and named them all. And all of a sudden, he's a babe born in Bethlehem. It's amazing. It's amazing. Incredible. Paul said Jesus was made in human likeness. The word likeness is the Greek homoma. Not mamoma. Not Jason mamoma. And all the women said, amen. (laughs) But homoma, which refers to form or resemblance, Jesus was not only made visible to the human eye, but also human likeness. Amazing that Jesus would leave this heavenly home, his heavenly home, take upon himself flesh, and this great exchange put him in a place where he can stand in our place, die in our place, feel what we felt, be touched by the feelings of our infirmity, and carry all that to heaven, to the Father's right side, and there ever live to make intercession for us as our high priest. Jesus, out of his deep love for us, left the majestic home of of heaven, the realm of glory, to enter this realm of humanity, shredding all his attributes that were too much for our flesh to endure. He dressed himself in the clothing of a human being, manifested in the flesh. And this little baby born in Bethlehem is now, you know, is still the eternal existing God Almighty. He dressed himself in human flesh so that we could dwell with him and he could dwell with us. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was born... When he was born, Mary wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger. There was no room for them in the inn. God didn't want his son being born in an inn. He didn't want his son being born in a castle. just gives you the depiction of what God, the extent that God went to save all of us. God doesn't say, clean up your mess. Clean up your mess and come to me. Clean up your mess, get your act together, and then come to where I can, and I can receive you and approve of you. God came to our mess. He came into our messy world. He was born in a messy, stinking, dung-filled stable. Not in a castle. So that he can identify with our plight. With who we are. He was not born amongst kings and princes, but revealed to shepherds. Revealed to shepherds. That's why he is Emmanuel, God with us. Even in our mess, even in our imperfections. Hebrews 2 and verse number 14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in a human form. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he deliver those who have lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. In his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, Author Philip Yancey quotes J.B. Phillips, who tells a story about a senior angel who was showing the young angel, this young angel, all the splendors of the universes, all of the whirling galaxies, the blazing suns, and all of that which God spoke into existence with just the mere words. And he's taken this younger angel, and two of them drew near to the star, which we call the sun, And all the circling planets, and the senior angel points to this small, rather insignificant sphere, turning slowly on its axis. And to the young angel, it looked like as dull as a dirty tennis ball, compared to all the other glorious sights that they had seen. And the senior angel said, I want you to watch that one particularly. I want you to watch that one particularly. And the younger angel said, well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me. What's so special about that one? To the little angel, the the earth did not seem so impressive. He listened in stunned silence as the senior angel told him about this planet, though small and insignificant and not overly clean, was the renowned visited planet. Do you mean that our great and glorious prince went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why should he do a thing like that? The little angel's face just kind of twisted in disgust. Do you mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating ball? I do, said the senior angel, and I don't think he would like you calling them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. To the little angel... Such a thought was beyond his comprehension. The first stop was the cradle. The next stop was the cross. The cross. In Philippians 2 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is supposed to be a Christmas service, Pastor Gary. We don't want to talk about the cross. We want to talk about something else. Well, the Apostle Paul connects the cross in Christmas time. And so does Dr. Luke in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a what? What does it say? a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in what? Clots. clots, amen, and lying where? In a manger. And when God gives a sign, it is no small thing. It is a thing of insignificance. It's a matter of itself significance. What is the significance of the clots or the swaddling clothes or whatever your version says? The cloth is what Jesus was wrapped in when he was born. Jesus wrapped him in commonly referred clothing as swaddling clothes. There were also bandages that were tightly wrapped around a newborn child so as to kind of like a cocoon to hold its legs and its arms together. Another reason was back in the day, people would travel. And travel was not easy back then. And when they traveled, they realized that they might face some hardships. Someone may get sick. And somebody may die. And when somebody dies, it was way, way, way too much for them to sling them on their shoulders and try to bring them anywhere. So they would have to bury them right where they were. So Joseph or somebody would have wrapped themselves up in some swaddling clothes. And this is what they would have wrapped the deceased in if the person died. These swaddling clothes. This is what they would be buried in. So they were clothes reserved for... A dead person. When Jesus was born, there was no room in the inn. Correct? No room in the inn. So Mary and Joseph used a nearby stable, and when they used the nearby stable, Jesus was wrapped in Joseph's swaddling clothes, the cloth normally reserved for a dead person. A dead person. The King of kings and the Lord of lords Came into this world and was wrapped in burial clothes. The shadow of the cross hung over the manger that day because baby Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes. What is the sign of the manger? A manger was a feeding trough. How many of you farmers would, how many farmers we got here today? Any farmers? You know that a feeding trough is, a, is for animals. It's for cattle, it's for horses, it's for sheep, it's for goats. It's for all kinds of of things. It's usually made out of wood. And the dimensions of this feeding trough, this manger, was usually three feet long, 18 inches wide, with a depth of about two feet. What, What is the significance of the manger? It signifies the depth to which the Son of God was willing to go for us. That's what that signifies. You put it all together, everybody, the signs that God gave the shepherds that night, the two signs, the swaddling clothes, clothes that a baby was wrapped in to prohibit them from moving their arms and moving their legs, but cloths reserved for a dead person. You have the manger made out of wood and having some depth, is God's sign that points ahead to a time when Jesus, with nothing more than a cloth wrapped around his waist, not able to move once again, his back up against wood once again, prohibited from moving, not only identifying with us in our humanity, but identifying us in our sins. And with his back up against wood once again, and wearing nothing more than cloths once again, he was the babe born in Bethlehem, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. That's where the two signs were. See what I mean? We look at that. God said, this is your sign right here. The swaddling clothes, the manger. Those are your two signs. That's what you need to look for. He was born a savior in a manger. He died a savior on a cross. The other sign for the manger that is meant for the shepherds, they could visit visit him freely at the manger. Not so much a throne, because the throne back then was very, very intimidating. Charles Spurgeon once said, we might tremble to approach a throne, but we cannot fear to approach a manger. The mangers were what the shepherds could approach. But when we approach Jesus today, we do not approach a manger. We are allowed to visit him and approach him at his throne. Hebrews 4, 16, then let us then approach, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy, and find grace to help us in our time of need. From the cradle to the cross, and lastly to the crown. You know something? The cross, the devil thought that was the end of Jesus. That was only the beginning. The cross was the beginning of the end for sin and Satan, but it was hardly the beginning of the end for Jesus. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I tell you, you can have all the celebration you want for the first coming, Of Christ. But get your hearts ready, everybody. Get your hearts ready for the second coming. Because God gave the shepherd just two signs for his first coming. Just the swaddling clothes in the manger. But to me, when you look all around, there's signs, signs, everywhere a sign, as the old song used to sing, that he is coming back very, very soon. Amen? He is coming back so soon. And I don't know about you, but I'm more excited about the approach and the arrival of Christ than I am the approach and arrival of Christmas. I haven't even begun my Christmas shopping. Anybody else? That is the Advent we should be looking forward to this morning. The Bethlehem, Jesus came as a little baby boy. The next time Jesus comes, will be as Lord of lords and yes. King of kings. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. If I'm reading my Bible right, a day is going to come, a day is going to come that those in heaven and those on earth and those even in hell will bow their knees in honor and humility and worship to Jesus. Think about this. Think about this. It will not be a question of if. It will be a question of when and how. Because if people, you have a choice, whether to bow your knee in this life, to bow your knee and say to Jesus, come into my heart and be my savior, be my Lord. Or you are gonna do it from the vantage point of hell. Think about it. If you do it in this life, If you commit your life to Christ and you bow yourself to him, because your throne is occupied with yourself, that's just sitting upon the throne of your life. It needs to be a replacement with Christ. He needs to sit there. He needs to be Lord of all. He needs to be Lord of all. And for those who bow their knee in this life and say, Jesus, come into my heart, into my life, be my savior, but be my Lord you reap all the benefits of salvation and all the promises of God, and then you, get your, you find your way into heaven should you die or should you be raptured. And that may happen in a moment's time. For those who reject, for those who reject him, the day will come that even in perdition, I can't imagine this, in this place of torment, perhaps there'll be a reprieve as all the devils and his angels that are there with all those who rejected God are there and for a reprieve. Every one of them, and even hell, will bow before Jesus Christ and say, He is Lord. But it will not change their eternal state. It'll just be a mere acknowledgement that He was right, I was wrong, the preacher was right, I should have listened. And just think about this going on and on and on and on and on, and then it's over, and you're still there. You are still there. Everyone will bow. Everyone will bow. I hope you are singing your heart out this morning and saying, Jesus is Lord. I hope you are singing your heart out. This may be the last Christmas we ever celebrate on earth. This may be it. This may be the last one. The last one. That's why my heart is there. My heart is there. I have an eye there, an eye here. Lord, I'll be about your business to the very end with all the strength and grace you give me for as long as I can preach the gospel, as long as I'm allowed to preach the gospel. You know, if I'm in prison, help me to preach the gospel. If I'm killed for my faith, help me to not be a Peter and say, Lord, if even everyone dies, I won't won't deny. No, Lord, I know in that moment you'll give me strength. You'll give me grace. You'll give me the power to live for you. This will be no quiet affair. The Bible says in every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The words of confess there is not only a confession, but to audibly, vocally, publicly declare it out as a fact, to speak it out, to be loud. This means that all of heaven, all of earth, all of hell is going to resound with this, just this earth-shattering, loud proclamation, every single person that's ever been born that's opened their eyes to this world, whether in heaven or in perdition, will cry out, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The Apostle John tells us in Revelation 5.13, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever The prophet Daniel tells us in 7, Daniel 7, verse 13, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never, ever be destroyed. R.G. Lee, the great Baptist preacher, said this. I love this. There never was another who was human child and also a divine son who was wounded by Satan and who at the same time crushed Satan, who was appointed the savior of men yet was crucified by men, who was judge of men yet was led as a felon from one tribunal to another. There never was another who died and was buried and yet lived, who saved others and himself could not save, who had no sin in him, yet all sin on him, who was the king of glory, yet wore no crown but a crown of thorns, who in the glory he had with God before the world was, had the angelic hails of heaven, and yet on earth gave himself to the murderous nails of men. There never was another who was the prince of life, yet died on Calvary." who was as old as his heavenly father and ages older than his earthly mother. There never was another who was the victim of a Roman cross and a victor at a Jewish grave. There never was another who poured all seas, all lakes, all rivers out of the crystal chalices of eternity, yet on a cross said with a mouth hot like a parched desert that cries for rain, I thirst." If you're searching for Jesus today, do not look in the cradle, he's not there. Do not look on the cross, he's not there. Do not look in the tomb, he's not there either. Fix your gaze heavenward, where Stephen saw him sitting at the right hand of the Father, where Paul the Apostle heard his thunderous voice on the Damascus road where Isaiah saw him high and lifted up with his train filling the temple where Daniel saw him as the ancient of days where the psalmist saw him riding on the wings of the wind and where John the revelator saw him as the lion of the tribe of Judah full of glory, grace, power, and majesty. Jesus came as a babe to the cradle and then the cross and gloriously now he is adorned with a crown. I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem, Jesus Christ, and crown him Lord of all.